You're listening to In the Open, a Mental Health America podcast, a space where we explore mental health and navigate the challenges of life through honest and candid conversation. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to In the Open. It's Teresa and America. Hi, everyone. And we have a guest today, um, Bill. Hi. Hi, Bill. How are um, y'all? Today's topic is how do I quit drinking or using drugs? This is part of our addiction series that we're just getting started and kicking off. So, Bill, I just maybe start with telling us a little bit about you. Like, what do you want people to know about who you are and your your journey? Well, um, I'm a certified peer specialist in Georgia. I spent my career in uh, healthcare, putting computer systems in hospitals and doing project management. And uh, when I reached, uh, you know, retirement age, I decided to start doing peer support. And I joined Mental Health of America. And um, yeah, I'm excited about doing this. I'm in recovery and I'm looking forward to sharing this. And when you say that you're in recovery, what does that mean to you? Well, I'm in recovery for both a mental health challenge uh, with a bipolar disorder, which they used to call manic depression. I like that term better because I, sometimes I've been manic and depressed at the same time. But I'm also uh, in recovery for substance abuse, primarily alcohol and uh, prescription drugs. Last week, we talked to Rachel, who is your peer on our team, uh, about figuring out if you're addicted. Mm-hmm. And today we're transitioning a bit to like, once you know you have an addiction, what does it mean to quit? What does that feel like? So when you hear that question, what are what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, you have to be willing. You have to really want it. Sometimes you have to hit bottom uh, in order that you're going to lose everything, your family, your job, you know, everything. And, and so you realize you have to quit in order to survive. If you don't, there are only three things that can happen to you. You either end up in institutionalized, or you end up in jail, or you end up dead, or all three. And so I chose recovery. Is that kind of what triggered for you the realization that you needed to quit? Yeah. I mean, I was in the hospital for uh, suicidal ideations, and I was in a group, and I listened to other people. And one of the things we talked about was that You know, on the prescription bottle, it said, do not drink on it. And I realized at that point that I had to to quit in order for my medications to work. I also was a workaholic, and I used my addiction to uh, sustain me in my work. You know, I would work hard during the day. I would have to take medications at night to sleep, and I would have to take medications to get up in the morning. And I did that for about 13 years, and it really made me sick. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that. I, I wonder, too, if you can speak to um, a little bit of what you said was, you know, you kind of have to hit rock bottom. And that is so self-defined, right? Um, I know that there's a whole movement of folks within the substance use space that feel the way we used to think about it is like, last resort, you're going to die. This is the time you have to make a change. But there's a movement around trying to do that way earlier before you hit like that rock bottom space. I wonder if there were 
some of those like indicators earlier on in kind of your experience? And if you can speak to that a little. There were. Um, I had someone tell me one time that my best intentions had got me where I am today. And my intentions were not to have problems with alcohol or drugs. And it, I tried to quit, you know, several times and was not able to do it. And I realized that I had to get some help or someone to help me. And so that was another reason why I got a sponsor in AA, because I wanted someone to help me through dealing with the shame. You know, you can be guilty and go to jail for a DUI. But when you get out, if you feel shame about, you know, I did something wrong, it upset my family, you know, all these types of things, that's shame. And so you have to get rid of that. And the way you get rid of it is being empathetic about yourself. It says in AA book, you know, how can you be angry at a sick person? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I realized early on was it was an illness. Mm -hmm. I've had it in my family. And my wife had it in her family. So we were able to, I was able to identify that I had, a, you know, I had issues. And uh, I had to quit in order to be myself again. And when you talk about, I, I tried to quit and I couldn't. I mean, I hear that a lot. I mean, that to, we often tell people like, that's probably a really good sign that there's a real problem is you try to stop and you can't. Is that it true? Is. Or can you tell me about what that was like? It is. And I probably know 100 people with addiction that I've known over the years, and all of them say that, that uh, they tried to quit and they couldn't. I mean, I went in the hospital, stayed for two weeks the first time, got out, and within three days, I was, you know, having a glass of wine. And so immediately, I went back in the hospital and sort of threw up my hands and said, I can't do this on my own. I need help. And so I decided I would do whatever it took to get better. And uh, it took a while. But um, I did stick with it. What were those early days like? Like, what did it what what do you remember what that felt like in those early days of trying to get better? You know, I was in a fog sort of because, um, you know, I had got at the time when I went in the hospital, uh, I was going, you know, sort of detoxing. So I was in a fog. It was difficult. But People that were in recovery already, my peers, would keep telling me it's going to get better. It's going to get better. And so they were my support system. Did you naturally um, navigate towards AA because that was what was around or, or was there something that kind of led you down that pathway? No, I didn't navigate. I mean, I didn't, uh, you know, decide that was what I should do. But when I went, the uh, facility I went into they had us go to meetings when we were in uh, the facility. I didn't like it at first. I said it was not about me. You know, everybody else is different than me, that I was different. But the longer I stayed in there, the more I realized that a lot of these people uh, were just like me. And once I got over that, I was, you know, able to share in the meetings. Uh, I was able to listen to peers that, you know, at the time I went in, somebody said they had 20 years, and I'm like, no way. <laughs> and, you know, and I just reached 22. So it, it can be done. It sounded like it was hard, like time blindness, losing sense of future. Yes. Yeah. It was, um, like I said, I uh, was in a fog. I was having problems seeing. My ears were ringing all the time. Uh, I had this metallic taste in my mouth. 
I hadn't been eating well, you know, not eating right. When I got into a facility, I started eating right. And I'm not saying you have to, you know, do it that way. I think, you know, the main thing is to be willing to do it. You really want to do it. And you're not doing it for anybody else. You're doing it for yourself. Because I don't know how many people I've met who said, you know, I did it for my wife. I did it for my girlfriend or whatever. I did it for someone else, my family. And it doesn't work. Because one of the things we do when we're in addiction, we have resentments. Somebody will say something against us. We don't like it. Uh, We get upset and we drink. Or it's a great day and everything's going great, so I'm going to drink and celebrate. So one of the things I also realized is that I had to forgive myself and also forgive people around me. That's so powerful. Um, within the the realm of what it is to just be a human being, it's so, which we're so hard on ourselves, and even more so when our experience is colored by these issues that we, we then carry. I'd love to hear a little bit from you around how your journey at the beginning kind of led you to where you are today. And and you talked a little bit about the support that you got, but you also mentioned, you know, the support that you've given, which is fabulous Mm. and really looking at all of that. Yeah, I think you have to give back. You can't keep it unless you're willing to give it away. And there's so many things that people told me coming along. One of the things when I was first got in, I was in a meeting and I said, you know, everybody's trying to brainwash me. And uh, one of the sponsors, my sponsors said, well, baby, your brain needs washing. (laughs) And he was the only one that could say something to me like that. You know, if anybody else had said that, it would have made me mad. But he was a peer. And and then I had some other friends. I had another guy tell me that he said, you know, when you're as sick as you are, you need to stay away. I had a daughter that was a teenager and said, you need to stay away from her. And, you know, I, I listened to all that. But the main thing is, you know, I took that in and then now I give it to other people when, I, when I'm dealing with people with addiction. And that helps me a lot. That's crucial. When you look back at all the times quitting, I often think about what's the moment that it's stuck? So you've been 22 years sober. The the last time you chose to make that commitment, how was that different than the times you tried before? Like what? Well, with alcohol, I wanted to quit. You know, it's my wife's brother was an addict also. But with prescription medications, I did relapse, uh, you know, about nine years ago. And uh, I was on Ambien and Clonopin for sleep because I was having problems sleeping. And I ended up in a car accident. And I was lucky I lived. But I also was charged with, uh, you know, driving under the influence. And I spent 30 days in jail. And so when I got out, I went to, at this time, I went to a Christian rehab. And that really changed me because all of a sudden I realized in order to really get well and really get into wellness anyway, I had to change. And so I became a a different person. It's like the old me died. I started living in the spirit, you know, know, instead of living in the flesh. You know, I started realizing that I'm made up of three people. You know, I'm a flesh, physicality, you know, I'm a soul, and that's my my thinking, my emotions, and everything else. But I have this spirit, and that spirit is what's 
our connection is what makes us, when you look at somebody, they got a twinkle in their eye. Everybody has a spirit. And once I started living from the spirit out instead of the flesh in, I changed. And all of a sudden I realized that, you know, I have this spirit and and it's where I want to reside. And as long as I'm taking mind-altering substances, I can't really live in the spirit. And so I learned at that point, that was my changing point where I finally decided, okay, this is it. You know, I relapsed again on uh, prescription medication, but all of a sudden I realized I can be a new person. The person that was me that was taking those prescription drugs to sleep, I just basically killed it. I just said, that's my past. I'm not going back there. Now, I'm not saying, you know, 100% I won't. You know, I have to stay in recovery every day. But it was a new mindset. You know, an AA is a spiritual-based program. Most people don't realize that. But, you know, they're saying that you, you know, need to depend on a higher power. And I believe that because you can't do it on your own. And until I truly allowed my addictions to die, then that's when it really made sense. And that's where I am today. And it's a lot easier because I don't want to drink. I don't want to take drugs because I don't want, you know, to have mind-altering experiences. I, you know, just live in myself. You know, I went and had a... uh, colonoscopy recently and they you know they put me on medications put me to sleep and when I woke up I was all droggy and everything I'm like you know I don't know how I enjoyed this <laughs> so, but I did at one point but now I don't it, I like the in, the imagery of a, a death and a rebirth a growth you know it gives us something to root ourselves in to understand what we who we are where we were who we want to be Mm -hmm. that is meaningful and more meaningful than like how many drinks did I drink? Yeah. I spilled more on my foot than you drank. (laughs) (laughs) Bill, in your experience, given that you have been in recovery for so long, did you find that quitting like the use of drugs was, I want to say easier, but I don't know if that's the right way because nothing's easy right how what how is that experience related to your larger experience of quitting drinking i knew i knew the procedure i knew what it took and i knew that i had to work on it 100 percent. and i couldn't worry about you know my job my family or anything else i had to concentrate on recovery 100 percent and, you know, I had to let everything else slide, you know, and then I found out at that point that I had some trauma in, in my childhood that had an impact on it, too. I, I really hadn't dealt with that. But once I dealt with the trauma, it helped because my trauma caused me to believe that I was not a good person or a worthless person. And once I really dealt with that, things got a lot easier, too. I didn't, I sort of surpassed those false beliefs I had about myself. And the negative thinking I had about myself got better 
because all of a sudden I was like, well, I'm not really this worthless person. You know, I have had a difficult time. Things did impact me, and I was a child. I had nothing to do with it, although I thought I did. But once I realized I didn't, I was more empathetic with that child in me. And so getting rid of trauma helps. When we go through trauma, we we start believing things that aren't true about ourselves. How do you conceptualize your sobriety, your risk? Are you like, even today, 22 years clean, I, I choose every day to stay sober and that is something I have to stay on top of? Or do you feel like because it's been a long time, you can let it go a little bit more. You don't have to be on top of it. Like what, what does that look like? No, I can't let it. I can't totally let it go. I mean, my family, my wife and my daughter know about it, but they know, you know, if something starts, you know, going awry, they know they'll say something to me. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, after 22 years, it's really no real difference because you can get in trouble really quickly. So, yeah, I do have to stay in recovery. I do things. Uh, one of the things is uh, helping other people with addiction. However, there are studies done that say that, you know, a lot of times that people with addiction get into therapy and they relapse. Uh, you know, I've read that peer support specialists have some of the highest relapses because you're all of a sudden thrown in a situation where you're reminded a lot about it. And you hear stories that actually can activate you. So I'm real cognizant of that. And sometimes I'll back away. Sometimes when I say, okay, well, this I'm starting to feel weird. I know that I, that this is an illness that I have, but I have, to, you know, just like diabetes, you know, you have to treat it every day. And Part of mine is spirituality and staying in, like I said, trying to stay in the spirit. And as long as I'm there, I'm okay. But the minute I start judging other people, getting upset, negative self-talk, then a red flag goes up and I go, I don't need to go there because it's not healthy for me. When you first get in recovery, you know, they say it's a progressive illness. So they say if you started drinking at 16, you got it. Sober at 25, you didn't mature during those days. So if you got sober at 25, you have the emotional mentality of a 16-year-old. So, you know, I think the first years I had to mature a lot. And I had to deal with things that I had never dealt with before because I suppressed them more. I self-medicated. And the longer I'm in recovery, I do mature I think, I don't know if it's normal, whatever. But anyway, I've grown. And the more I grow and the more I work with people like you and everybody else, the more I realize that it's an illness. It's very dangerous. It can kill you. I know a lot of young people now that are have addiction, and I think that we need to help them as much as we can. I, I think what resonates the most from what you're sharing, Bill, even early on in, in your recovery journey is the fact that you had to set very distinct boundaries mm -hmm. um, so that you you recognized that you needed to do that. But it's hard to do that. Um, mm -hmm. It's hard when you're not even living with an addiction. 
Can you talk a little bit about how you've done that and, and stuck with those boundaries so that you can continue to live in recovery? Yeah, that's, um, you know, the first year on Christmas Eve, I was by myself living in a recovery house and it wasn't easy, but I had to do it. The first year I stayed away from, you know, everybody, my friends that I, you know, were good friends, but they still, you know, had a drink every once in a while. So, no, it's hard sometimes, and and but you have to make a decision, just like a lot of things in life, you know, in order to do it, it, it takes work. And, you know, you have to do what's been proven. And one of the things that I, I truly believe in, you know, you have to get in recovery, and in the first year, it's very difficult. That's why they give the chips out in AA, you know. 30 days, nine days, six months in a year, because that's the hardest part. And it it is difficult, but it is like, you know, dealing with diabetes. You know, you can't eat, you know, I can't eat pies. You can't eat sugar. You know, you have to make certain adjustments in your life. So when you have addiction, you have to make adjustments and you have to stick with them. I think you doing the work is something we've talked a lot about. There is something in inside of ourselves that <laughs> wishes it was easier. Right. Because drugs are easy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're so easy. I think that's the allure of it. That's the, why it's so hard. I also caught my eye around the boundaries was also the self-awareness about your red flags. Mm-hmm. And in mental health recovery, we talk about like a wellness recovery action plan, the right. RAP plan, which the space to talk about what's going to trigger me, what, how do I know I'm in a dangerous place or a, a risky place of getting bad or worse in my in my my recovery process? You you spoke to that a little bit. Spoke to like I know if these things happen, these are my red flags. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about how how thinking that through really helped you? Yeah, I think, and I think a rap is good because it, it does describe you as normal, whatever it's normal. But, you know, with a rap, it, it gives you some tools, you know, say, if I go back in, you know, rehab, this is what I want, because you know what works. To me, the biggest thing that's helped me the most was other people in recovery, having their phone numbers, call them every day to try to look at yourself. One of the things that I do when I have anxiety or I have depression, I try to look at where does it come from? Does that come somewhere from my past? And how do I deal with that? So if I deal with those things, then usually, you know, cravings or, you know, I got to push that down. I think it's better to deal with it, you know, either talk therapy or, or, Whatever, journaling, doing a rap or whatever, you have to do those kind of things in order to, you know, stay in recovery. So it might start off with like a strong feeling or just something rises up in you or is it stress, you know, like. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a lot of things. I mean, it and, and everybody has something in their life mm-hmm. that's difficult for them. You know, mm-hmm. some people are told they're the greatest in the person, you know, they're the greatest person in the world. You know, they made straight A's, they're brilliant, and they kind of don't believe that, you know, underneath. And so they kind of question that. And so in order to get rid of that, you know, they may use drugs and drink. 
And then are there people that um, had trauma, whatever. And they may like go out in society, they don't feel comfortable, so they drink or they use. And so when you have addictions, you have to be cognizant of that all the time. There's got to be something in the back of your mind saying, I'm getting anxious, you know, I'm starting to feel weird, I'm starting to feel like, you know, that I'm different from everybody else. And you have to catch that. And our minds is like any other organ. <laughs> so it spits out a bunch of crap. And so, you know, again, just try to feel, use your inner self or your spirit. I think that's helped me more than anything. And also helped me with working with people that I mentor to is to learn how to uh, live in your spirit and use your feelings and emotions to determine what your false beliefs are about yourself. You know, I'm feeling anxiety when I'm around people, but, you know, I grew up with a mother that was an alcoholic and I was afraid to have people over. So that's pretty normal for me to have those feelings. And so I have to sort of bat them down. You know, I'm okay. That's very powerful. I appreciate what you've shared and bringing us back to this idea that we do have to connect with a deeper sense of ourselves to get to a better place, right? Where we have to make that decision right? so we can do better. You know, Thank you so much. And, and you can call it whatever you know you want to call it. It just takes your inner self. When I hear about your story, I, the thing that stands out to me, like mental health recovery, is there's no one way. Right. And also, like you just don't know what sticks, you know. Right. That's that's true. It's it's in the it's everybody's an individual. I mean, the only other thing I want to say is that you know when you have these illnesses. They cause other illnesses. The core morbidity, you know, you drank too much, you may have pancreatitis later in life. You know, if you did too many drugs, you you know, you may have problems. If you work like I did as a workaholic, I got blood clots in my legs for sitting so much. So all of these mental health challenges can and will impact you physically. Yeah. And also just what you're noting there is that addiction, we conceptualize this as like alcohol and and pills, but you we have addictions to work and food and sugar and chaos. Gambling. And gambling. Yeah, gambling and sex. Spending too much. And, 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 sex, I, and, yeah. and I think we have to change the way we think about our relationship with activities or thoughts or things that we do that make us unhealthy and why we lean ourselves towards those actions or that we, I think that ultimately the question is like, it feels good, but in the end, is it hurting you? Right. And the internet, it's pretty judgmental also. I mean, people, I've, I've noticed a lot of young people these days are having problems with addiction and a lot, you know, some of it comes from the internet, just that here's the way I'm supposed to be. And I don't fit in. And so I'm unhappy. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're unhappy, maybe you're looking to fill that void with something that right. makes you feel better, but it's not ultimately going to sustain that if we do too much. Right. 
All right. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for joining us. And we always close off by telling everybody to keep on fighting in the open. Yes. Thank you all. Bye.